Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today with a special guest, and this we feel this is a very important show. We got Kirk Euler, who's a Placer County supervisor, and uh, I got to tell you, this guy is a great friend of ours, and you're going to be hearing a little bit of his story and what's been happening up here with this COVID crisis on Honor Radio. Kurt, I want to tell you, buddy, it is an honor to have you on this show, my friend. Um, I want people to really get to know you. And, uh, uh, you know, you've been a great friend to the Honor Group nonprofit. You've uh, been with us through the beginning of the development of the Honor Bowl. Um, We have a thing that we do here in your district, District 4, called the Yellow Ribbon uh, a campaign that we do down a major portion of, of Roseville and Granite Bay where we hang yellow ribbons on every tree. You've been out there in the early mornings. Your wife has been out there in the early mornings helping us do that almost every year. You have an amazing nonprofit out there called Up Pageantry, which is, um, uh, we'll, I'll let you talk about it, Kirk. I just got, I want to properly introduce you where um, you raise up young women. You raise up young women. I've been a judge of this, uh, the Miss Placer County pageant. Um, I learned so much about what you and your wife and your family do to raise up young women. Buddy, I can't say enough of how honored we are to have you on this show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come and chat with you and, and uh, folks who, who tune, tune in your podcast. It's great. Thank you. So, Kurt, you know, we're going to get into what's been happening with the COVID crisis and what you've been doing with the Placer County uh, supervisor and, and what's been happening here in Placer County as your role as a supervisor of uh, District 4. But, buddy, talk, tell us a little bit about your family. Tell us a little bit about the Miss Placer County pageant. Tell us about your work that you do with that. All right. Well, uh, a number of years ago, uh, my wife started a, uh, a nonprofit, 501c3, with a passion for uh, helping young ladies develop confidence, mature into um, community-oriented young women, young women who understand the importance of uh, being engaged in their community, working with uh, local electeds and, and other nonprofits. An awful lot of the time that we spend through a pageantry that Tammy has with her girls, we spend working with other nonprofits, helping them fulfill their missions. So whether uh, it's uh, Kids First or any of a, a whole host of other Placer County nonprofit organizations that are in the business of, or, or th- that are committed to uh, helping the underserved in Placer County, that's what the girls who come through a pageantry get introduced to is you, Yes, pageant, the, the, the night of the pageant is about you being on stage and being in the public eye, but we want to develop uh, a young women who are committed to something beyond people looking at them. We want them looking at their community, trying to figure out how they can engage with their community to make it a better place. So we have been, uh, uh, Tammy's uh, organization, Up Pageantry, was selected by the Placer County Fair 
to run the Miss Placer County pageant, which has been around since 1937. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for the last five, five or six years, we've run the Miss Placer County uh, pageant there at the, at the Placer County Fair. And just has been an, an incredible experience uh, for us. Um, Tammy grew up uh, uh, as a pageant contestant. She, was, she went to uh, Miss Teen California. Uh, my daughter was uh, Miss Teen Idaho in the uh, USA line, which is the, the pageant line that Donald Trump uh, owned and operated for a while. He then sold it to uh, William Morris. And uh, so my daughter had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go compete in Shreveport, Louisiana for the Miss USA, uh, Teen USA title. Wow. Unfortunately, didn't, didn't win it, but we had a great experience. And my daughter, I look at my daughter and how... Uh, incredibly beautiful and confident she is. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an awful lot of beautiful people mm-hmm. uh, around us, but the confidence is really what I think makes people beautiful. Um, even ugly guys like me can be seen <laughs> as in a better light. Just if we're if we're confident what we believe in, and we're able to uh, to express our our convictions convincingly to folks. And so that's really what we try to emphasize in up pageantry: is get engaged, get passionate. Uh, and be able to explain yourself. Free five! Get up! Free five! Get up! You got to get some, my friend. Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, I was able to be a judge one year. You guys invited me, asked me to be a judge on there of this panel of, I don't know, five or six of us. And uh, I, got, I was blown away at the young ladies that were involved with this, their, um, their intellect, uh, their uh, the way that they held themselves, their poise. Um, we got to ask them interview questions where like they were, you know, being interviewed for a job and in a high pressure situation where they were sitting in front of a panel and having to ask questions like they were being interviewed. Yeah. I, got, I was blown away at the quality of these young women. And I, I got to tell you, ever since then, I have been a major fan of what you do to raise up young women in our community and to see, you know, your daughter rise up to where she's been and, 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 and it's been going. I got to tell you, buddy, it's been uh, extremely impressive. So kudos on your work that you do with the young ladies here. Well, I, I, listen, I, my job is easy. Tammy's the one who puts in all the, all the time and effort. I, uh, I have the opportunity to help coach these girls. Um, and that's really one of the big differences between the pageants that, that Tammy puts on and so many other pageants. So many other pageants, these girls will show up for a rehearsal and then they do the pageant. Whereas we literally, as you know, we spend hours working with these girls on their public speaking skills, on their interview skills, on all those things, because we want the girls who come through uh, the up pageantry experience, we want them to have a great experience on stage and off stage and know that they uh, they leave the that opportunity to compete in the Miss Placer County pageant, even if they don't leave for the title, they leave as a better person than when they showed up. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, the girls have been to our honorable events. They help us work the honorable events. Yeah. They, um, they, and they, they love your event. That, oh, that my honor. God. It's amazing. It's that we love when it. the ladies are there every year. Um, they help us hang ribbons. Um, you do a great job, you and Tammy. Thank you. Uh, kudos to that. So Thank you. Uh, I'm going to jump right into the, the meat and potatoes of what we really want to talk about here today too, my friend. I wanted people to get an idea of who you are 
as a person, but tell us a little bit more about what you do with Placer County. What is your role sure. at, when it comes to District 4? Give us a, a foundation behind that. Sure. Well, uh, in California, anyway, California is divided into 58 counties. And as counties, we are uh, essentially creations of the state. Cities are creations of the people, but counties are creations of the state. The lines were drawn by the state when the state was established. And so as creations of the state, we're essentially agencies of the state. And so we at the county level are responsible for providing uh, health and human services, welfare services, child support services. Uh, we provide, obviously, the county sheriff in the unincorporated area where cities provide police within the incorporated cities. Uh, but then, let's say a city police officer arrests somebody. They're taken typically to a county jail. Uh, where they are held until uh, they go to the county superior court, where they are prosecuted by a county district attorney and they're defended by a county hired public defender. So, and then if they are convicted, they're convicted typically to a county jail until they are released under the supervision of county probation. So all facets of public protection are county responsibilities. And then you have, of course, the other things that folks know about all of our public works. We have parks, we have uh, our roads, we have uh, sewer districts. So all those other services. And then, uh, of course, the County Board of Supervisors sits as the land use planning authority for the unincorporated parts of the county. Mm -hmm. So those are, it's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted job. Um, you got to be up on an awful lot of things. And of course, in, in this crazy state, you know, where every year the legislature introduces 2,000 new bills because we need 2,000 new laws, uh, 2,000 new bills and, and, you know, upwards of, of three to 600 of those will be passed and chaptered. You're really, you're constantly having to change. It's, it, you're always working in a changing environment because not only are we a service provider and have to provide the kinds of services I just described, but we're also a major employer. So we have to react as a major employer to all the changes in employment law and HR things and all that. So it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting 18 years, I can tell you that. So let me tell people a little bit more about Placer County. Um, it's on the northeast side of Sacramento. It, it, it has cities like Roseville, Auburn, uh, Lincoln, uh, Rockland, uh, major cities, major growing cities. Uh, it's one of the most rapidly growing counties in California. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's got foothills. It's got lakes, scenic mountains. It, it runs all the way up to the border of Nevada and has North Lake Tahoe. So we're not talking a small county. How many people in it altogether, Kurt? We're just at about 400,000 people in the county now. 400,000 people. So it's a, it's a big county that incorporates uh, just a beautiful area of California. Um, now, uh, we've been really impacted by what's been going on with this uh, COVID crisis. It's been, it's been very difficult. It's been on all the counties of California. It's been extremely stressful. And, uh, and, and you've been vocal my friend, you've been vocal with your uh, your passion to wanting to uh, reopen the county. Um, you've had you've done several videos. You did one video uh, last week 
that uh, was in response to a SACBI uh, editorial that came out that uh, had over 70,000 views. I mean, we're talking, it went viral. And then uh, you did a video yesterday that had over 140,000 views. So you have really become a, uh, a voice in this county, my friend, and the state of California. And a lot of people are listening, my friend. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you've been going through the last few days. Well, you know, Coach, this is really in response to the fact that I'm somebody who fundamentally believes that uh, words matter, definitions matter, and laws should matter. And uh, you know, a big part of my frustration is that um, we in the state of California, we have state laws that govern um, this emergency situation. And one of the biggest frustrations I have is that the governor has decided that rather than uh, obeying state law, and in these videos you referenced, and I have it here if you wanted me to get into the details of chapter and verse of what the laws are, rather than, rather than obeying the state law, um, our governor has just decided he's going to let this, uh, this state of emergency that was declared back in early March, he's just going to let this drag on. Well, that's not what state law says. State law clearly says uh, that the governor shall, he says, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not a recommendation. The governor shall proclaim the termination of a state of emergency at the earliest possible date that conditions warrant. Well, we went into this state of emergency back in early March because we were listening to projections at the federal level of over 2 million Americans dead. And here in California, hundreds of thousands of Californians dead and what that might mean for us as a county of, of 400,000 people. And, you know, it obviously it's tragic. It's a shame that we in Placer County have lost eight people. Um, but... We went into this lockdown, people abandoned their businesses and schools shut down and kids lost their education opportunities for fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Well, the yeah. unknown didn't materialize. Right. We, as we talked today, we have a grand total of, of, of nine, nine people in Placer County hospitals. Just the South County hospitals can accommodate 668 people in staff beds. We've got nine people. We're not in a state of emergency by definition. And so all I've been saying all along is, hey, we should celebrate the fact that we're not in a state of emergency. Yes. We should celebrate the fact that this was not anywhere near as bad. And, and, and let's get out of this state of emergency and let's let people resume building their lives, rebuild or start rebuilding and resume their lives. Do you believe the governor is acting out of his authority? I do, without question. I mean, by, by, by definition within state law, you look at the governor's own declaration. The governor cites in his declaration, as he should, he says, um, in particular government code section 8625, uh, he hereby proclaims. Well, 8625 is very clear, Coach. 8625 requires that two things, two findings must be made. Finding number one, he finds that circumstances described in Government Code Section 8558 subdivision, subdivision B exist. Mm -hmm. 
And I'll read that real quick. So we have to first make this finding, okay? And really quickly, what that says is that a state of emergency can be declared when a whole bunch of things might happen, one of which is an epidemic, which by reason of their magnitude are or are likely to be beyond the control of the services, personnel, equipment, and facilities of any single county, city, and county, or city. Well, back in early March, Mm -hmm. the key provision was are or are likely to be. And we as a board of supervisors said, yeah, we agree. We are likely, based on everything we're hearing, Mm -hmm. we are likely to meet that criteria. So we adopted the state of emergency in our county. So that's finding number one that must, must be made. Finding number two that must be made. He finds that local authority is inadequate to cope with the emergency. Coach. Yeah, how does that make sense? Less, less than two digits worth of cases in our hospital. Yes. In hospital capacity, 668 staff beds. We, we can cope with it. So that condition is not being met. So the state law is very clear. The governor shall proclaim the termination of state emergency at the earliest possible date. Hmm. We're there. But this governor, for some reason, is insistent on keeping us in this state of emergency. I have my thoughts as to why, but... Why? Well, because he continues to issue executive orders that would be illegal under any other condition. Hmm. He's on on almost a daily basis. He's creating law unilaterally. The legislature is playing no role in creating laws in California. The governor is doing it unilaterally uh, in in taking advantage of this opportunity, which allows him to do it. See, a state of emergency, this entire entire government code section, it's Article 13, state Mm -hmm. of emergency. It goes through the first section is the section I read to you, which identifies what are the conditions that must exist. The last section says the governor shall proclaim the termination of the state as early as possible. And in between those two is a page and a half worth of special powers that are transferred to the governor during a state of emergency. Powers that the governor doesn't have if we're not in a state of emergency. We're not in a state of emergency. Now, certain localities, certain localities, yeah, you, you might be able to say Los Angeles County. Yeah. But we have a provision for that in the government code section. The same government code section that defines a state of emergency immediately below says local emergency means the duly proclaimed existence of conditions of disaster or of extreme peril, the safety of persons or property within the territorial limits of a county, city, county, or city. That's what we've got right now. We have some jurisdictions that are experiencing local emergencies. But as of yesterday, over half of the counties in the state of California haven't had a death in two weeks. It just doesn't make any sense, my friend. No sense whatsoever. Um, Do you believe that this um, is political? Well, clearly, uh, there is a political element to it. Um, I think the the, the very fact that the governor is continuing the state of emergency uh, the fact that I got an interesting letter from his director of Office of Emergency Let's Services. Talk, don't, 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 tell me about that. Tell me about the letter. People need to know more about, basically, it was a threat. Oh, it's an out-and-out threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I apologize. I left a piece of paper right over there. I'm going to disappear for a second. Oh, I got a piece of paper. Okay, my friend. All right. So I'm back. Um, 
So this all started when I took a resolution to our board of supervisors a week ago, a week ago yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So on May 5th, I took a resolution to the board of supervisors that called upon the governor to recognize that we are no longer in a state of emergency, declare an end in the state of emergency. Our board passed it unanimously. And on Wednesday, it was sent to the governor. And um, I followed up on that on, on that, that uh, resolution with an email that I sent to the governor and Attorney General Javier Becerra. And essentially I just wrote uh, respectfully, uh, dear Governor Newsom, by what authority do you control how counties move forward? Your current state of emergency, emergency declaration must be rescinded because the conditions required for state of emergency no longer exist, state law is clear, and then it goes into that definition. Um, State law only allows for state of emergency when specific conditions exist, one of which is that conditions are beyond the control of the services of the county. Clearly, with only eight deaths and 10 people hospitalized, Placer County is well in control of our ability to respond. And then I, I call upon Javier Becerra, Attorney General, to step in and enforce state law before counties have to waste precious taxpayer dollars in costly litigation. So I sent that to the governor's office on Wednesday. Well, I didn't get a response from the governor. I didn't get a response from the attorney general, but I did get a response, an interesting one, from the director of the Office of Emergency Services. Um, I have trouble with his last name. I apologize. Uh, Gilarducci, I believe. Mark Gilarducci mm-hmm. um, wrote me a, a, a two-page, page-and-a-half letter, which <laughs> he went to the trouble of getting seven. Uh, these, are, these are the footnotes to his letter, seven footnotes in a, in a page and a half letter where he went and did the research or somebody who works with him did, uh, where they identified the actions that our board took to, uh, to, to proclaim the state of emergency. And he's saying, how dare you question whether or not we're in a state of emergency? You actually bolded this sentence. If you can see this, I'll come in close. That one sentence that's bolded right there uh, he wanted to make sure that I remembered that I voted to ratify both of the proclamations on March 9th, declaring the state of emergency. Mm. Yeah, March 9th. Ninth. Right. Ninth. Mm-hmm. Today is May 13th. <laughs> There's another get some. Has anything changed in the last two months? Has our understanding of this disease changed? Absolutely. Have the projections changed? Has anything? I would submit. Everything's changed in the last two months. Yes. So, yes. so uh, anyway, he, he then went on, and this is the interesting part. This is kind of the, the money quote right here. He wrote, I caution you, he marked talking to me, I caution you that improvident rhetoric in your missive may jeopardize your county's access to disaster relief and other funding meant to mitigate the effects of emergencies. That's a threat. So, so what he's telling me yeah. is because I, number one, as a citizen, number two, as an elected official, because I redress grievances with the governor of the United States and the, excuse me, the governor of California and the attorney general of California, um, I place my citizens in jeopardy of losing funding. Now understand, coach, the funds that the state sends to localities particularly counties, are largely a mixture and mostly, in a lot of cases, mostly federal funds. So he's threatening, as the director of the Office of Emergency Services, 
to withhold funds to Placer County, which were directed to the state of California by the federal government. Interesting. That's a tenuous position for somebody to be in. And interesting, my friend. Um, so do you believe that letter and the vocal the, uh, way that you've been is one of the reasons why Placer County has been somewhat uh, allowed to get through the stage two process? Do you believe that might have helped or what do you think regarding that? And what does I, it mean? To be okay, so so Placer is uh, there were there were I want to say seven counties that have been allowed the opportunity to quote unquote accelerate through phase two, which means that uh, we have our businesses that are retail shops, um, restaurants uh, can reopen under certain guidelines. And while do I think that 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 some of this air cover that I provided helped the process? Yes, I do. But I I got to give credit and. You'll appreciate this. You got to give the credit. The wind goes to the ground troops. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's always the people on the ground who are the ones who are slugging it out and ultimately claim property. Right? You can provide all the air cover you want, uh, but we are you talking our, about our, the protesters and all that. Have been... I, I want to really actually. It's it's our office of emergency services who's been phenomenal. Uh, our economic development folks working with our business community. We we went out early on and started working with our business community sector by sector, manufacturing, retail, lodging, restaurants, service industries. We went sector by sector, started working with our businesses to say, okay guys, what are the best practices that we all agree we should employ when it comes time to open up? And we put those together in guidelines that, that we would then submitted to the state um, and showed them, these are all the things we're doing. These are what our businesses are saying we want to move forward and do. And so we were just really well positioned to be able to do this. Now, I'm, my frustration is that we're having to play these reindeer games in the first place because I believe that we shouldn't be under a state of emergency. But while we do, I believe it is in the best interest of our businesses to do whatever we can to move forward within this structure while we continue to fight against the structure. Sure, sure. You know, I don't think people understand um, when it comes to a county, when businesses are shut down, when um, hospitals are, uh, and, and are, are, are not at capacity, when things are happening within a county, that's all tax money that is not funding the county, right? So, uh, I mean, in the long run, not now, but years from now, this has serious repercussions on the county. You're, you're, you're absolutely right, Coach. And, and this, you know, I was a county supervisor when we went through the, the, the housing, the burst of the housing bubble. And we saw assessed valuations just plummet. And for cities, when something like this happens, especially this, with this kind of an economic shutdown of businesses overnight, for cities, the impact is almost immediate because cities are predominantly sales tax dependent, okay? Counties, predominantly property tax dependent. And when you just shut off the spigot of sales tax, cities are getting hammered right now. For us in the county, it's we're a lagging indicator. So what's gonna happen with this is, you have a business park, 
uh, or a retail, let's take a, a retail complex, right? That has restaurants and, and the shoe store and all those other things in the retail park. And those businesses all get shut down. Well, how many of those businesses ultimately don't reopen? And if those that do reopen, how many of them are going to be paying a reduced rent? Well, then that property owner all of a sudden is going to the county to say, my valuation that you're taxing me at is no longer valid because I'm now 60% vacant. And of those people who are paying rent, they're paying half the rent. And so you have to reduce my property tax bill. And by law, we have to reduce their property tax bill if they can make that kind of a case. And so this is what we saw during the housing crisis. Uh, and we're, of course, then it was led by housing. This time, we're going to see a dramatic reduction in our property tax revenue, unfortunately, led by the commercial sector, mm. which is getting hammered first. That, of course, will flow through to the housing sector because, you know, realtors are losing deals right now because yeah. deals that were in escrow, people got laid off yeah. and, and or they're uncertain about their future. So people canceled escrows. Yeah. A lot of people walked away from deposits, right. just not knowing if they were going to be able to fulfill. Right. So we're going to see it in the, in the residential sector, but I think it's going to be more immediate in the commercial sector. It's absolutely crazy. I, I, I wanted people to hear that from you because so many people don't understand the snowball effect that is occurring Absolutely. with this, right? And how, you know, uh, cities, yeah, they're impacted now. But when it comes to the counties, this could be years later and seriously impact things like, um, you know, a police, fire, all of this other stuff. Yes, that The governor went and asked for another, or was asking for another $1 trillion, claiming that he needs to support those that type of infrastructure but um i'm wondering how much is actually going to get to placer county and all the other counties that are going to need that it's just a, it's a crazy world we're living in um you know I, I hear a lot about this new normal my friend uh what do you think about that do you think there's going to be a new normal you know every time i hear people talking about the new normal and Unfortunately, typically it's coming from our governor. It's, it's, in the, it's in the vein of a new acceptance of this top-down command and control consolidation of power at the state level. That's, they are always talking about a new normal uh, in the standpoint of what we as individual citizens are going to have to accept in terms of surrendering liberties. And that's why I'm in the fight. Because, Coach, my hope through all this is, is when it comes this November and elections in the future, and I'm saying this, I'm not on the ballot. But in, in this election coming up, whether it's for city council, county board of supervisors, state assembly, state senate, United States House of Representatives, uh, we don't have a senator on the ballot this time, or president of the United States. I want people to evaluate their candidates. You're, you're either in one or two camps. You're in the camp that took advantage of this opportunity to consolidate as much power as possible and you fought like hell against relinquishing that power. Or you're in the camp that said, for the good of all of us, we agree to temporarily give up some of our liberties while we get this under control. And then you fought like hell to get those liberties back. 
Free five. Get up. Free five. Get up. Free five. Get up. Marines like that. The Marines well, like those are the, those are the guys. I mean, those are the guys who are fighting like hell for our liberties in the first place, yeah. and here we are surrendering them. Yeah. Kirk, um, I got to tell you, man, uh, you said something on an interview that I heard recently about this uh, not being uh, a loss of life problem. We're having a loss of livelihood problem. If you could just summarize what you mean by that well in placer county a county of about four hundred thousand people we've lost eight people and i'm sorry that we lost eight people the fact of the matter is that those eight people that we lost all of them had some other kind of condition with which they were suffering not to say that without the existence of, of this disease they wouldn't still be alive today but we did lose eight people and that is tragic but that's two people per 100,000 residents in our county. Meanwhile, we've lost over 7,500 jobs per 100,000 residents in this county. So two lives, the loss of 7,500 livelihoods. The argument against reopening our counties at this point, people were saying, well, if we push to reopen, we could lose more lives. And yes, that's true. We could. If we don't reopen, it's a certainty we will see the devastation of more lives from the economic standpoint than from the disease. Kirk Euler, um, once again, I'm honored that you came on this show. Um, you know, Rick and I, when we started this, was all about getting the word out from passionate community leaders like you, right? To, to introduce people like you to um, our sphere of influence. And uh, we've had some great people on over the last uh, year. But I gotta tell you, buddy, um, uh, it is an honor to know you. It is an honor to know your family. Uh, I, I'd love to see you run for governor, my friend. And I know you're hearing that from a lot of people, but I, I'd love, I just love your passion. I love your community spirit. Your sense for freedom and patriotism. And I think that we need more leaders that have that type of, of, of heart. And so uh, from the bottom of my, my heart, buddy, I just want to thank you for, for sharing a little bit about what fighting for Placer County, how we're trying to get this thing reopened, right? So we could get back to normal and uh, with the freedoms that we're used to having. Amen, brother? Amen, coach. And I just want to, number one, thank you for the opportunity to come on here and chat with you today. It's always a pleasure to, to get a little FaceTime with coach. Um, <laughs> but I also, uh, your, your commitment to the community and, and to, well, to the, the entire armed forces uh, in general through the honorable and everything and, and your own family's sacrifice with your boys. Um, I, I just, you're an inspiration. So thank you very much for what you do. God bless you, Kirk. Hey, man, we hope to have you back on after we get out the back end of this thing and we got our liberties back because we're going to be fighting for them, my friend. Uh, we right. hope to have you back on, man. But so God bless you, my friend, and we'll see you hopefully back in a couple of months, okay? Sounds great, Coach. Keep Thank fighting, you. Kirk. Keep fighting, Always. buddy. Always.
Okay, guys, this is Honor Radio, and we'll see you on the next episode next week. God bless and have a great day.